we left off uh, looking at, and this has been a couple weeks, so we'll go back and, and kind of recap, but we were looking at the response of the accusers to Stephen, and so uh, Stephen gives his long, eloquent, historical recount of what was going on with Israel over the course of time, and how the fathers have been very similar to what you're seeing uh, playing out here before you, and the fact that they uphold this standard for religion and not for faith, and uh, in that uh, they fail to, uh, to make the mark and the connection of what God truly desires uh, from them. And so in, in verses 51, we'll, we'll pick it up from there and kind of read through, and in your notes, uh, we're on point C, uh, the response of the accusers, I believe. For me, it's at the bottom of page 76, uh, but we see it there. Uh, so pick it up at verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked and I'm circumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do ye, which which of the prophets have you, not your fathers persecuted and they slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the murderers or betrayers and murderers uh, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it when they heard these things. Here's the response. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. They cried out. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their, down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he, uh, he fell asleep. And so you see uh, the statement in response uh, of the accusers and then the action of, of Stephen to follow. And so we'll look at that in verses 54 through 60. And uh, there's a shot. We might be able to close out this chapter today <laughs> and start into the next one. Uh, but I'm not making any promises. We'll see. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this day and grateful for the opportunity that we have to pick back up on this series as we uh, come into the new year uh, here today. Uh, and grateful to look back over the past year and to uh, see all of the opportunities you provided to each one of us uh, individually and the uh, opportunity that we have to read through your word and learn and, and to be able to apply these things that we see uh, uh, that are, are pertinent to us living the Christian life uh, in our lives over the course of a year and, and to see our own spiritual growth. Uh, we pray that as we uh, continue through this particular study, uh, that again, as we've prayed before, we would have a good appreciation for the foundation uh, that was laid before us uh, for those believers that had to suffer through many things and uh, have uh, different things happen that, that uh, we don't necessarily have to deal with uh, here in America. Uh, and we can have an appreciation for that and still have an appreciation also that it's the same Holy Spirit that was working through them and energizing them uh, that energizes us today and that we would be uh, following his lead so that we might glorify you. Uh, we pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, and so the response to the accusers is seen uh, first in their collective emotional or, or the collective emotional impact of Stephen's words. And so uh, you ever had somebody tell you something that's true, but not something you want to hear? And it hits you hard, <laughs> square in the chest. And in the flesh, you react, right? You don't react in a way that's good. You react in a way that's, that's carnal. And this is how they reacted here. You can react a couple different ways to truth, right? Uh, and I think I've talked about this before with my dad. Uh, a lot of times when me and my brothers were going back and forth, well, he said this about me or, or he said that about me. Is it true? <laughs> is what he's saying true? If it's true, then maybe you ought to take that constructive criticism and improve yourself. But if it's not true, then disregard it. This is not something they were willing to do, right? They're not willing to just take these words and say, hey, you're wrong and go on about their business. They're going to take these words, which were actually truth, and they're going to be negatively affected by it. And you can see the immediate emotional response uh, or impact that these words had upon them. And so at the instant of the collective hearing uh, is, is when these words hit them square in the chest. Look in verse 54. It says, when they heard these things. And so in the Greek, this is why we dig a little bit into the language, right? It's a punctiliar action. At the point in time they heard these words, this is the impact of them. This is how it affected them emotionally. And so what I would say, uh, first of all, this hearing, we have a note that comes from our word akuo, uh, or the uh, verb akuo, uh, which you can hear it come straight across into English, a good sound word, acoustics, right? If you're listening to uh, stereo sound in your car, you'd like to have good acu acoustics to be able to hear. But this is a present active participle. And so uh, at the point in time that they were hearing these things, uh, here's how it affected them. And I would say it, it's um, and I said uh, an uh, uh, accusative, it's not or excuse me, an uh, heiress It's not really an heiress. It's in the present. Uh, but what I would say is it's in the historical present. And Arthur is writing in the present that something is occurring or going on at that uh, a particular time uh, that's in the past or as if it were in the past to provide the full effect of the action. And so as he's writing these things, they're not actually happening as he's writing them. Right. He's looking back on these things, but he's writing them as if they're going on at the present time. And you've seen this happen with. Uh, your own conversation when you're talking to somebody uh, and you're talking about something that happened in the past and you uh, talk about it as if it's going on in the present. Right. So that they have a vivid picture of what's going on there. And this is the way that that he used it here. Now, this uh, conjunctive particle that uh, is also used to express that. Uh, this is a sequence of events that followed Stephen's statement. And so right after Stephen got finished saying what uh, he was saying and the resultant translation could be read. Now, hearing these things, they uh, heard it, heard it audibly and it took the, uh, or and they took it into consideration as to what they heard. And immediately they have a, a an emotional reaction to the things that they were hearing. And so back up to your notes there, if you had scrolled down or looked down to uh, that sub point, uh, I would say that they were triggered to borrow a current word uh, from our pop culture or popular culture. People get triggered today when they hear stuff, right? You say something that's averse to what people want to hear and they immediately have a response to what you're saying. And that's what happened here. They were triggered by the statement 
of the father's disobedience or their father's disobedience to the law. This hurt them, right? He's telling them that their fathers who they put up on this pedestal were disobedient to the law. And remember, he said your fathers because he compares them to them in the fact that they're currently being disobedient. And so this triggers them. They were triggered by the statement that their fathers murdered the prophets. Now, which one of these things are incorrect? They were disobedient to the law. We can go right back to Exodus and all of the journeyings of Israel throughout the Old Testament. They were always disobedient. He's not telling them anything that's untrue. And they always murdered and persecuted the prophets. So far, so good with truth. Third point, triggered by the comparison of their father of the fathers to the accusers. They don't want to be tied into any disobedience, right? He's saying you are just like your fathers in that you're disobedient to God. And this hits them square in the heart. Why do I say that? Because the next statement that's made in verse 54 is they were cut to the heart. It hit them square in the middle of their heart. And so what does this mean? This word for cut to the heart, I have a sub point there in your notes as well. And it comes from the uh, uh, Greek verb dia prio, which means uh, to divide in sunder. And so uh, this uh, dividing asunder of the heart. And so as you look at the heart, I would say it's made up of the mind, the will and the emotions. Three parts of the heart, the mind, the will and the emotions. And so these different parts of the heart were separated. Right. And you see the emotional component of the heart separated from the reason. And so now that emotion is overriding what you're going to say as far as your reactions are concerned. Uh, and that's what we get with this uh, uh, word for Dio, Dio, Dio Prio. Why well, I couldn't get that one out. Um, and so as you look at it in my uh, translation of the word, it's literally of being cut through. Uh, figuratively, it provides a picture of the resultant emotion, emotional reaction from one uh, due to the exterior circumstances separating reason from feeling. Now, what I would say is uh, we're looking at ourselves as Christians and what separates us from other people is our ability to not have our emotions override our reason. Right. And I can say that if you go over to Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 39 is the verse I always like to cite for this. Right. Go with me over there really quickly. Hebrews 10, 39. And as you're thinking about these who are reacting in this way, they have no ability to do what a believer can do in a very similar circumstance. Now, if you go back in the context, this is immediately following uh, where the author of Hebrews had talked about these Hebrew saints uh, before being affected negatively on the outside by things, but reacting in a positive way, right? They lost everything and they were able to handle it and react in the proper way spiritually. Verse 36, he says, for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. This word for perdition has the idea of, of destruction or of abolishment there. But of them that believe into the saving of the souls. 
Now, this uh, saving of the souls is not a good translation of the word that we're looking at here. It comes from the Greek word peripoison, which has the idea of, uh, of, of a, a round that peri for perimeter and possession. So you're possessing or controlling around something. And so as you pertain that to the soul, it means that you have a possession or a control over your soul. Right. Our souls don't have to control us. Our emotions don't have to control us. We are able, by the grace of God and living in our position, to control our souls, which are the seat of our emotions. And so as you look at this here, going back to Acts chapter 7, the same is not true of an unsaved person, right? And so as you're not living spiritually also for a believer, you're going to get in situations where things are going to hit you. And how do you react? It's usually going to be the flesh, right? And it's going to be similar to what you see here. Something triggers you or cuts you to the heart and you react. Uh, and this is how they reacted here. Now, the same result uh, of the Jewish leadership at the hearing of, of Peter's reasoning uh, could be seen. And this similar word is used that they were cut to the heart back over in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33. Funny how uh, truth seems to have a negative impact on this Jewish leadership, right? Uh, and you see it here as well. Uh, pick it up, and we've been here before, so I won't go all the way back into the context, but just pick it up at verse 28, uh, or verse 27. He says, and when uh, they had brought them, uh, brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Similar circumstances here, right? Uh, Peter is just telling them the truth of what they've done in killing Jesus, and they are going to have a negative reaction to it. In verse 29, it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Very bold of him to go and accuse them again right after they said, didn't we tell you to stop doing this? Verse 31, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And uh, we are witnesses of these things. And so uh, is also the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard, uh, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel how to slay him. You see, it's not a logical reaction that they're given here. And in this circumstance, they were about to kill him until Gamaliel brought reason to this insanity. Right. And so there is no such person here to bring reason to this situation. And you're going to see them get carried away with their murderous intent. And it's going to take it all the way uh, to a finish in this circumstance. So in uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 33, you see the resultant immediate reaction was the isolation of their emotions by the words that Peter spoke, right? So he speaks something they don't like, that they don't want to hear. He tells them truth, and immediately they have this emotional reaction to it. And you're going to see it uh, uh, in that circumstance. Again, it was uh, interrupted by a reason from Gamaliel. The emotional response led to the desire to kill Peter. And the Jews were interrupted uh, by uh, in their intent by Gamaliel's reason. Now, uh, we also see a similar word used over in Acts chapter two and verse thirty seven, 
where it says that they're pricked uh, to the heart. Go with me over there. And this one, again, is slightly different, uh, but we can look at it just as a comparative uh, type word. Uh, and this is from our, our, our uh, Greek verb, katanuso, uh, uh, and this one having more the idea of uh, to be pained or to have a sharp kind of pain in the heart. I almost think of someone that's having a heart attack <laughs> here in this, this circumstance. But pick it up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now, remember, uh, in the context, Peter is explaining what's going on after the coming of the Holy Spirit because people are totally confused as to what they've seen. And he's bringing levity uh, to the situation. They're just thinking, hey, these guys have lost their minds. They're drunk and and doing all of these things. And and Peter explains to them, even using scripture uh, in the context, uh, what is going on. Uh, But pick it up in in verse 37. He says, now, uh, when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter uh, and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, Then uh, said unto them, or Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you uh, shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here you see it's, it's not as much an isolation of the emotions from the rest of the reason as much as it is a pricking of the heart. Right. And it kind of convicts them concerning uh, where they are. Uh, but uh, similar, uh, again, to what we see over uh, in the other context. Now, top of page 78 for me. Again, I don't know if our uh, notes are aligned. I went back and made some adjustments. so I'm not quite sure. Uh what is the other reaction that they have? So they've uh, immediately after they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And what was the result of them being cut to the heart? They gnashed uh, on him with their teeth, it says in the context there in, in uh, scripture. Now, uh, you might think of that as them running up and biting him, right? <laughs> biting his skin or something like that. This is not what happened. Uh, and so you can say, Brother Don's making the face back there that you probably would have seen this. <laughs> really? Yes, there you go. Like you're sleeping and you can't stop. <laughs> right? they're, they're grinding their teeth. And so I would really trans, uh, translate it. They gnashed the, the teeth uh, or their teeth upon the occasion of him. Right. Upon what he was doing. <laughs> What they were doing caused them some angst. They're really upset. And so this word for Nash comes from our word uh, Ebrukan, which is a hapox, meaning that it only occurs in this context. Uh, But it has this idea of, as you look in your uh, bottom of your page there, is making sounds by striking the teeth together to grind your teeth. Not good for your teeth, right? So if he had been around a long time, he might have caused them some real dental problems. So they, they had to kill him. It was only appropriate. <laughs> but examples of the noun, we do see the noun used a bit more in other places. Uh, over in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, we see it uh, used to illustrate the reaction of those uh, who are in torment after being cast in the outer darkness. Go back with me there just so we can get a little flavor of how this word is used. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12. And pick it up in uh, verse 10. 
And it says there, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to uh, them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Uh, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom uh, shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, centurion, go thy way, uh, and as thou uh, hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And so you see this uh, outer darkness, right? This uh, uh, casting out into to Hades, as it were, or into really here as you look into the future, the lake of fire as it's been uh, tossed into there. But this idea here of the torment that they're under, right, is going to cause you to grind your teeth. And when you there's nothing else that can be done for the pain, maybe that's the reaction that people have. Right. I've never been in that much pain. Uh, Maybe somebody's broken a bone in here and can uh, attest to it. uh, The pain that uh, is caused there. Maybe that causes you to grind your teeth because it's the only thing you can do. Right. And Brother Don says, yes, I've I've never broken a bone. so I can't testify to. But I have seen those uh, movies where uh, you're going to cut off a leg or something like that. Right. And what do they do? They stick a. A stick in your mouth and tell you to bite down on the stick for the pain, right? And so this is a little similar uh, to what we see here. Now, this is also illustrated in, in a similar reaction uh, to those being in torment after being cast in the furnace of fire over in uh, Matthew chapter 8, or excuse me, 13 and verse 42. We can look at it there. Acts chapter 13 and verse 42. And pick it up in verse 36. And here he's looking at the mystery uh, kingdom, which had not uh, yet been revealed to them. And and we see it here. And pick it up in in verse 36. It says, And Jesus said, or sent the multitude away, and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field, or of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that soweth them is the, the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, not world there, but age. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore uh, the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this uh, age uh, there. Verse 41, the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out uh, of his kingdom all things that offend and uh, them which do uh, really their lawlessness, not iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so, again, you see for the torment that's going to go on there uh, and this looking out uh, at the kingdom. Right. And looking into the millennial kingdom and those that will go out of there <laughs> are going to go out into a place they don't want to be. And in their, their torment, they're going to grind their teeth in pain. So back over to Acts chapter seven. And this gives us a little flavor of what they were doing here, this grinding of the teeth. 
because of the mental anguish they're suffering through in hearing these words from Stephen. Uh, and so the teeth uh, are seen as a, a plural collective here. All of them were doing this, right? This is a collective reaction of all of those men that were standing in this crowd. And the reaction was upon the basis of him. So you see, uh, epiaton, it means uh, uh, not really grinding on him. <laughs> it's upon the basis of him or upon the, the reaction that, uh, or, or to the things that he's saying. Uh, and, and we see this here. Now, the collective reaction was for uh, each of the men uh, to gnash their very own teeth. And the reaction was the result of the men ch channeling what Stephen had stated uh, unto them or uh, into directed action uh, toward him personally. And so they're translating what he said into action as to what they're going to do. And it's not going to be pretty. Now, in verses 55 and 56, we see uh, the emotional reaction of these guys before, but we see the spiritual reaction of Stephen to what they're saying in verses 55 and 56. Uh, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looks up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing not on the right hand, but standing out from the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing out from the right hand of God. Now, amazing thing here, they're, they're being privy to a miracle that's going on, right? How many of you guys have been able to look up in the sky and see Jesus standing out from the right hand of God? I've not seen it. I've seen some beautiful skies. I've seen the sun shining very nicely. Never seen Jesus standing out from the right hand of God. But this is what he's seeing. And what are they going to react to it? They think he's crazy as always, and they're going to kill him <laughs> as a result of it. Uh, but going back to verse 55, we see uh, what is the result of his action It's resulted from being filled by the spirit. And for one of the first times here, we've seen it uh, leading up to now with some of the other apostles and how they're reacting to these these leaders. You see it here that the spirit is filling him and the spirit filling him is causing him to react in a certain way. And this way is contrast, contrasted with the reaction of the Jews uh, by the use of the con conjunction death. And so you see this uh, conjunction here used again at the beginning of verse 55. You see it translated as but. It's an adversative or contrary to what you've seen before. So they reacted emotionally. He reacted spiritually. Uh, now, this uh, idea here being, of being filled, it comes from our uh, noun play race or the verb play rao. And it means uh, just that, to be filled with something. Uh, my my uh, definition of the word is generally it speaks of the state of a person or thing being filled to a level in which nothing else can enter. And so think of a glass. If you've got that glass filled up with water, you put any more water on it, what's going to happen? It spills over. <laughs> you can't get another content or another drop into that cup. You're all the way full. And he was all the way filled at this point with the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit in comparison with Pimplemi, which we see earlier in uh, 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 Acts chapter 2, the perspective evolves to action of an individual utilizing the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so whereas with this pimply me feeling it's the Holy Spirit governing and kind of dictating someone into action. This is the proper usage of the individual of being filled by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be controlled. 
You don't have to be shown what to do. The interesting contrast you see is with John the Baptist. He was pimply me filled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit governed his action. And so he was almost, I wouldn't say a robot, but the Holy Spirit had a strong mental control over what he was doing. Here you see somebody that's filled with the Holy Spirit like you and I can be filled. And then they act in accordance with that feeling on their own. Uh, and so this is the difference we see here. Uh, going back up, I, I keep dropping in my notes and lose my place. Uh, but this uh, idea of being filled here, the Holy Spirit previously filled uh, in a way more in line with the Holy Spirit strongly directing their activity. And that's, again, that that pimply me feeling. You can look at the foot, footnote there uh, on point one oh four. And the Holy Spirit uh, filled uh, at the day of Pentecost. I referenced this one. Go back with me there just to see this one, uh, pimply me, back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. So when the Holy Spirit first came, those people that were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, his initial feeling was just this, that it was a mental control over their actions. And how do you see it play out? They start speaking with tongues or other languages that they never knew before because the Holy Spirit is dictating, uh, again, their actions. Pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all in one place with one accord, uh, and suddenly there came a sound from the heaven as of a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, the, the Spirit is communicating with their mind. This is what to say. And they're saying it, right? It's almost a, a mental uh, leading or, or directing that the Holy Spirit is doing. This is different than what you see with Stephen over in chapter 7, right? The Holy Spirit has filled him all the way up to the full. Now he's reacting on the basis of that feeling. It's not as much of a, a dictating or a governing. Uh, and so I think with the transition and what you're seeing with the church, this is very important to grasp. Right. They didn't exactly know with the coming of the Holy Spirit there to start. How do we act and how do we use this this newfound thing that we have? But as you see it evolving throughout this book, you're going to see them more and more be able to use the Holy Spirit. It's like having training wheels on a bike, right? You don't just jump on that bicycle and know that balance is going to be pretty ugly if you do that, right? Some, some kids do it and they just try to learn from uh, just rote without the training wheels. But most people put training wheels on so that children can know how to operate and find that balance. And once they find it, you can take those training wheels off and away they go. And this is similar to what you see with them here, that uh, as they learn how to utilize the Holy Spirit and you're going to see it develop more over the course of the book, uh, yeah, they, you can take the training wheels off, as, as it were. Uh, top of page uh, 79. Brother Scott gave me a hard time. Sometimes I move quickly through some of these pages and sometimes I, I move a little slower. <laughs> but uh, we see more of these references uh, to this filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, um, over in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, we see Peter was directed by the Holy Spirit in his uh, strengthening before speaking to the Jewish leaders. And so go with me over there to Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. 
Now, he, uh, as we know, had a couple confrontations with these guys, right? And they're really giving him a hard time. Uh, but we see Peter reacting very differently, again, from what he reacted uh, when he was confronted in the Gospels. But pick it up in verse 5. It says, And it came to pass on the morrow uh, that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set uh, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or what name have you done this? And this is a healing of this this impotent man in verse eight. Then Peter filled. Here's our word mental feeling, uh, uh, pimple me feeling, feeling uh, with the Holy Spirit said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we be uh, this day examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto uh, you all and to all the, uh, the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised out from dead ones, even by him that this man stand before you whole. Now, what is the Holy Spirit doing here in this instance? You see information that was already in Peter's head, right? He's seen all of these things happen and all of these things occur when Jesus was here. He just didn't have the strength to stand and say these things before. So the Holy Spirit is collecting this information that's in his mind. He's strengthening him to be able to be bold enough to stand before these people and say it. And he's nudging him into doing it. Whereas being filled with the Holy Spirit, as we see from Stephen, again, we're going to talk about it here in a minute. It's just a little bit different. You don't have to have as much of the leading and the governing of the Holy Spirit to do these things. Uh, verse 40, uh, 31 of the same chapter, we see those gathered uh, after the release of Peter were directed uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, and result, uh, uh, resulting from their boldness. And so we see the uh, actions and the things that occur with Peter provide similar boldness through the pimply me filling of the Holy Spirit uh, to other believers at the end of the chapter. Uh, pick it up at verse 28. He says, uh, uh, well, pick, pick it up at verse 29, actually. And this is after uh, Peter has come back to the group and has told them all uh, that has happened. And it says, and now, uh, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto to thy servants uh, that with all boldness they may speak the, thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, uh, the place was shaken where they were uh, assembled together and they were all filled. Here's this mental uh, feeling with the Holy Spirit. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And so you see uh, the results of filling there as well. Now, over in chapter nine, uh, we see this occur with Paul uh, as he was directed by the Holy Spirit after the receiving of his sight. And so uh, Paul uh, after his conversion, and we're going to see uh, as we get into chapter uh, eight, how maniacal Paul was on the other side of this coin. Right before his conversion, man, he was a madman. He was just obsessed with persecuting Christians because he thought that's what he was supposed to do. But after his conversion, you see this filling of the Holy Spirit and you see a, a total different reaction uh, from Paul. But pick it up in, in verse 10. Of chapter nine, it says there and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias uh, and to him said the Lord in a vision Ananias. 
And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Uh, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Uh, for behold, uh, he prayeth and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house uh, and put his hands on him, uh, on him, said, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way uh, as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes uh, as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And so you see uh, Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's pimply me feeling to go forth and do the things uh, that he does. Uh, now, that is, uh, we have one more instance after that of this use. But over in Acts chapter 13, it's the last instance you see of this word being used in the book of Acts uh, for filling. And here is for Paul uh, being directed by the Holy Spirit when he blinded Elimus. And so Elimus the sorcerer, go with me over there to Acts chapter 13. And we will look there and pick it up in verse 4. So it says there, so they being uh, sent uh, forth by the Holy Spirit departed unto Seleucia and from thence uh, sailed unto Cyprus. And when they uh, were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, uh, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was uh, with which was with the deputy uh, of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Paul, uh, Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, Thou son, or not really the word for child there, but our word son, uh, a mature son of the, of the devil. Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing for the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a midst and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And so here you see uh, this pimply me filling leads to him being able to blind this guy, Sergius Paulus, uh, um, or excuse me, Elimus, for uh, what he was uh, doing here. Uh, and so this uh, is the first instance, uh, what we're looking at back in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, 
where we see the filling of the, the spirit and subsequent individual response. And so um, Stephen being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, not the pimplamy filling, but the actual playwright's filling, the way that you and I are filled uh, here today uh, is, is seen. Now in Acts chapter 6, uh, before we go into verse uh, or chapter 7, we're told that these uh, guys that were elevated to the position of deacon were what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was one of the requirements that were asked of them. Go back with me over to Acts chapter 6. And I don't want you guys to get too confused over these two words here. Um, but this playros filling, the one that, uh, not the control, but the other filling, was a requirement of these uh, that were going to be placed in the position of deacon. Uh, but pick it up there. He said in verse 3 uh, of chapter 6, uh, wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so what was a, a big requirement of these deacons that were going to be handling the business of the church? They were to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be able to draw upon the Holy Spirit, filling them in order to act. And that's very important when you talk about handling the business of a church and having wisdom in the matters uh, of business there. Verse four, it says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You see, Stephen was filled and known to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's shown that graphically by his action before. And even in verse eight, it reiterates it again. It says in Stephen, full of faith and power, did great miracles among the people. Uh, and they uh, then arose uh, certain of the synagogue, which is called uh, the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians uh, and the Alexandrians. And so uh, before he goes into this dispute with them in chapter seven, uh, you see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens as a result of this uh, filling? He sees something as he looks into heaven. So it says Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit, he looked into heaven. And what did he see? Now, as you think about heaven, uh, the Bible tells us the sky is heaven. The atmosphere of what you see in the sky is heaven. Uh, it says the starry space that's beyond the atmosphere is heaven. But the third heaven, which we do not see, <laughs> way, way, way out there, uh, somewhere far away, <laughs> if we're borrowing a Star Wars term, is way out there, right? Way, way out there. The third heaven where the Son of God sits and where the Father sits, this is where he sees into. Can you imagine the sight that he's seeing looking up into the sky and being able to look through all of that and see the son of God standing out from the right hand? And so it says he, his sight went into heaven uh, in verse uh, uh, 55. Uh, it says he's being full of the Holy Spirit, looked steadfastly into heaven. Now, if you looked in your uh, uh, translation there, you just see heaven. But there's an article there before that heaven. It says the heaven, uh, not just um, um, the first or the second. And so, I, again, I would say this is the third heaven because he's uh, stating this is where uh, Jesus is sitting or standing out from the right hand of God. And he looked upon a quality of the divine glory because uh, it says there he's standing out from, uh, again, the right hand of God. And he looked at uh, Jesus standing out from the right hand. And Jesus is distinct from the glory so that he is visible 
Now, remember, uh, we know that God exists in a light that no man can approach unto, right? When Paul even saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, what did he see? He didn't see a person. <laughs> he saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. He didn't see a person. And so in order for Stephen to see him, he had to stand out from his glory uh, to be seen. And this is what we'll get into a little bit more next week. Uh, your footnote down there at the bottom. Uh, Paul's encounter with glory, the glory of God caused him to look away. And we see that over in Acts chapter 26 and verse 13. We see Moses was frightened by the coming into contact with God's glory in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 21. And then we see the Lord revealed a glimpse of his glory before Peter, James and John in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. And it must have been an amazing sight because they still talked about it in their epistles as they wrote. Right. And so we'll come back to that next week. And I want to run through those really quickly. It's a very important uh, point to see. But when it says he's standing out from the right hand of God, the God, the father and the son in their throne room are enshrined in glory. Right. And that glory is the pastor is taught through there in uh, uh, Second Corinthians that we're doing on Wednesday nights is expressed by light, a brilliant light that you cannot look on unto. And so in order for him to see the sun, he had to stand out from the right hand of God. And we'll see that next week. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this uh, day, uh, grateful for uh, the martyrdom of your servant, Stephen. And because of that, we can uh, not just were those believers uh, around the time strengthened, but we're able to, uh, to be strengthened by it as well, uh, to know that you've worked through your children and your servants before, and you're working through them now uh, with us. And so we pray that uh, we would take full advantage of that, uh, understand the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we might uh, attain to the things that you desire from us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.